Hello and welcome to The Entrepreneurs on Monocle Radio, the show all about inspiring people, innovative companies and fresh ideas in global business. Today's programme is all about skincare. First, we meet the founder of a brand born from a frustration with the lack of quality men's skincare solutions. The moment I said to myself, let's try, was when I thought, I love to create, I love to build my own brand. If it's not out there, let's create it then. Then we meet the co-founder of a line blending scientific innovation with traditional Japanese values. Kampo is basically a system of medicinal herbs and we really wanted to integrate these herbs into the skincare line and bring this whole idea and philosophy of Kampo to Europe. This is The Entrepreneurs with me, Tom Edwards. You're listening to The Entrepreneurs. Gregor Jaspers is the founder of The Grey, a men's skincare line he founded after noticing a glaring gap in the market. Gregor felt ignored by the luxury skincare sector and frustrated at the fact that to find products light enough for business travel, he, more often than not, wound up selecting from products that were developed for and usually aimed at women. So in 2018, Gregor launched The Grey, with products tailored specifically to men's skincare problems, taking into account things like how the formulae interact with facial hair and how well they travel. I caught up with Gregor, who began by telling me about the origins of the brand. I was a buyer for a department store in the Netherlands and I was traveling a lot. And it was during Milan Fashion Week when I was looking at my wash bag, which was cluttered with female products, men's products, female products, unisex products, everything, but mostly female products packed in golden jars with massive lids with only 50 ml eye cream in it. And I was wondering, isn't there anything tailored for my needs as a guy who loves skincare? but doesn't want to have purple, pink and gold in his bathroom, smelling like roses and everything. So I went out and bought a men's tailored skincare brand and I was so disappointed in the active ingredients inside and saying that at the time I didn't know anything about active ingredients, but I did know that I didn't like what I was putting on my face. So I actually went back to using those female tailored products And at that time, I felt neglected and ignored as a male consumer that there wasn't anything there for me in the market. And that's when I noticed the gap. Now, there are lots of people who get frustrated when they have that kind of moment of insight. Gregor, they have that clarity and they say, oh, you know, it's so unfair. And then they just move on with their they move on with their lives, don't they? What is it about your approach, I don't know, your entrepreneurial zeal, where rather than just move on in frustration, you said, okay, I'm going to actually do something about this. What, how does that moment, what, what galvanizes in your, in your head to make you then, well, change kind of everything and, and set out on a completely new, new journey? What was that moment like? I think it's a combination of, I, I'm quite visually, so I love products, how they look, how they feel, um, also the smell. So I was missing that from men. And then having a big love for skincare and perfumes, which was brought on to me like when I was a child. So there was always been a, a fascination for the product. Then having the gap there and the love for creating, I think those things together made me realize that well, if it's not out there, let's create it then. And then you'll open up Pandora's box of difficult things you don't know anything about, 
But the moment I said to myself, let's try, was when I thought it's not there. I love to create. I love to build an own, my own brand. So those things just fell into pieces. And tell me, what was that the early days then like, Gregor? Was it, were you one of these guys, you know, like a home brewer, rustling stuff up, cooking stuff in your, in your bathtub? How did that initial phase of, of research and research and development, what did that look like? Well, thank God for Google. Now, what you do is, you're right, I had no idea. As you said, I was a menswear buyer, so I knew the brands I was buying for the department stores, but I didn't know how to make them. So we're based in the Netherlands, and you actually simply type in Google skincare lab- laboratory in the Netherlands, and you get a list of labs in the Netherlands and they're all bad and they're all like too commercial. So you have to find your way. So it's looking, talking. We didn't do anything in our own home kitchen. We started directly with a, um, with a lab that was enthusiastic about the story I wanted to tell, which was my lucky break, because I think if you would have the same story now, times has changed. And it's quite difficult to find a partner who wants to invest time and, and knowledge in, in new brands. So at the time, as it was still quite new to start a men's brand, and my laboratory was so enthusiastic that they wanted to support me in that. And then you have the different and new hurdles to take, like packaging, legislation. If anything is difficult, is is skincare legislation. So I was in my bed until four o'clock at night reading about things, what to avoid, what to register. So it was pioneering in getting to know the industry, which was actually the most exciting thing at the time, learning again new stuff. When you do a job for quite a while, you in a way go onto autopilot and now learning again all those new stuff you have no idea about. It was so exciting at the time. Yeah, and tell me about the reaction then. So Ripple Dissolve later, you started to develop these products. Presumably you've got prototypes. You're going out into the world. Now, we know in this area, there are a few really smart independents, but the kind of the landscape is dominated by a few mega players. What, what's their attitude, Gregor, towards an upstart? Are you just a sort of an amusing act at the side and they can kind of watch you and be a bit cynical about it? Or do they worry and say, actually, look, this guy's got some really interesting ideas. We need to, we need to up our game. What was the, the early reaction from, I guess, some of the other smaller players, but some of those big, big players as well? Were you able to kind of get time with them and, and find out what they thought? To be honest, at that time, there were a few. And then you have the usual suspects, the big, big companies, and they had a sideline of men's cosmetics. In the niche, like the sizes we, we are, and, and like the independents and, and, and the more high-end brands, there were a handful. And of those handful brands, we immediately connected and we became friends and we shared information, which was so refreshing for coming from fashion where everything is like, oh, the competition, don't talk to them and you have to be afraid and don't share any information. Skincare was the opposite. So I made quite a few friends in the early days who were at the same level of brand size, if you would say that. Then the bigger players, no. They, what I learned is men's skincare is not on top of their minds. So of every big brand, you and I know about. They all have a subline, and if numbers aren't there, 
they will skip that specific line. So from the big brands, no information, no contact, no feedback. And from the smaller brands, a warm welcome, actually. Well, that, that's nice and maybe to be expected. I wonder how much has that changed, though, Gregor? Then if we look at particularly, it's interesting, uh, the years of development of your brand, obviously slap bang in the middle, you had this pandemic where I'm sure you had the same challenges everyone had, supply chain, distribution, all the rest of it. But there was a, seemingly a real step change in the amount of time, the amount of effort people, everybody, female consumers, male consumers, wanted to put into their health and well-being. And that extended to cosmetics, to fragrance, to things that just were much more basically about feeling good and looking good. In a weird way, look, it was a terrible time, but did that kind of help the brand's development? Because people wanted to talk about this in a different way. In hindsight, absolutely. But imagine being this young entrepreneur, one year on the market, and then the pandemic happens. I had no idea what to do. We said to each other, me and my friends and people who advise me from the side, how are you going to manage this? All our retailers were closed. I think of all the stores we were selling to, only two worldwide were still open. So I had no idea how to to manage that period. And then I said to myself, let's just move on, go on, continue what we planned, keep launching new products and also work with what's going on in the world. So the world was locked down. People were, as you say, more and more aware of self-care, not skincare particularly, but self-care. You saw the sales of perfumes dropping and you saw the sales of skincare and supplements and and everything about mental health rising. So we launched a few products concerning mental health, immune system development and support. So those things actually helped us to be visible and stay visible. So indeed, in hindsight, uh, the pandemic was something which we could grow on. Well, let's talk a bit about products specifically. I've been tinkering around, Gregor. My favourite, you've got this three-in-one face cream, very revitalising. I'm of a certain age. I like to think I don't look it, but <laughs> I need a little bit of assistance. <laughs> so that's my favourite. But do you, are you, I, I don't know, can you have favourite products? Or do you, is it like children, you can't name your favourite? <laughs> How do you, do you, do you, you must have favourites. Is it maybe the first thing you developed? The first thing we developed was indeed the three-in-one. So the three-in-one is basically everything. Remember the, the wash bag I told you about. It's everything I was using. I said to, to the developers within the laboratory, can you make a single cream containing all of the different creams I'm using? So and that became a three-in-one. So it was the day creams I was using, the night creams and the eye creams. And it is the absolute bestseller. And everybody loves it. And it is a, it's our pillar of the brand. But then we had more difficult developments like our SPF, our sun protection, which is an amazing formulation. And maybe that is my, my favorite. Maybe also because it was the hardest to develop. It took us about three years to have the right formulation there. And then when you see that it resonates with your consumers and your clients, that's something you can be so proud of. So the, the, the SPF is one of my favorites. And then we have our Comfort Plus, which I personally use, which is the second face cream we have. I like that one because we get messages and emails from clients who have real skin issues. And we develop that cream, especially for those clients who have difficult, uncomfortable 
unhealthy skin and we made it to repair that. And you get like the most emotional emails from, from guys that we fix their skin. So that's why we do it. So those two are maybe my favorites within the range. And tell me, I guess people must say to you, well, you know, Gregor, you know this industry inside out. You know what works. You've now got all this hands-on expertise because of the grey. What's the secret? And is the secret really that there is no secret? And actually, it's not any one product, but it's trying to be holistic in your approach. So you need a whole regimen. You need to think carefully about cleansing. Of course, you need to think about products. You need to think about what's gone into those products and if they're made with the right botanicals and all the rest. But there actually, there is no silver bullet and you need to give time, maybe spend some money and ensure you're doing all of these things at once. There's no secret. Is that is that a fair summary? There is no secret because if there would be a secret, everybody would be hunting for that single secret and think they would make money and be successful. It is an ongoing process of tweaking, adjusting, learning, all those things just just that makes the end in in the end the perfect combination. So when you start developing seven, eight years ago, the landscape in men's cosmetics was way different than it is now. When we launched the brand five years ago, again the landscape is different. Grooming was on topic and we don't use the word grooming because we're a skincare brand and we talk about skin improvement, but that is also changing. And then now the money male consumers spending on their product, it has, I think it's changed from three products 10 years ago to nine products, what what they're spending. So there is a constant movement of your client, your consumer, the economy. So there is no silver bullet. It is learning, watching and anticipating on it. And talk to me a bit about growth story, because I know lots of listeners to this program are always fascinated by the challenge and opportunity of growing, whether that's by geography or by demography mm. or whatever it is. And I know it's often a, one of the key things that lots of the entrepreneurs we speak to talks about is the difficulty of letting go a little bit. And obviously, if you reach a certain scale or you have to trust agents or other operatives in other markets, you can't, although you might try, you can't be everywhere at once. Have you run into that, Gregor? Is that a challenge or is it more exciting, the opportunity to grow and bring these great products to people in different markets? Does that sort of trump any worries you have about not being in control in the same way as when you were just starting out? That's actually such a good question because it is, I think, growing. As an entrepreneur, you want to grow. You always want to grow and you want to make more money. But growing has such a big downside because your volume goes up, your investments go up. Time-wise, you are consumed by all the, the growth of your company. So for us, we said, let's take a step back because we entered US, we entered the Middle East, and then Australia was knocking on the door and we realized we just could not give all those areas the same attention as they deserve. So then just say no and focus on what you can manage. So growth is important, but managing your growth on the correct way, if that means growing slower and building a more solid base for the future, that's what we want to do. And which means you say no more often than you like to, but you know that it is in the end the best solution. So growth is um, is a big a trap where you can step in if you don't manage it in the correct way. So how do you describe the brand then, Gregor? Now is it does it rain? Is it a Dutch brand? Is it a global brand? 
out of the Netherlands? Is it a European brand? Does it actually matter how you or anyone looks at it as long as they love the products? I think that from a brand perspective, we want to be a global, made-in-the-Netherlands brand. So our tone of voice, everything is in, is, is, is in English. People have no idea that we are actually from the Netherlands. Even our Dutch consumers send us emails in English, which I think is good because we want to address everybody in the world. So we are an international brand with an international focus, which means marketing-wise we tick all the boxes on every different holiday, religious holiday and everything there. So we want to be an international player trying to get this small niche piece of the pie of the international big players who are already out there. So that's why we focus on US market with our own logistic warehouse there. We have a big hub in Amsterdam where we send everything from mainland Europe. Then we have a big player in the Middle East. So we try to play international, but we are in a way, uh, the way we work within the company, we're very Dutch, uh, which means it's hard work. Maybe we don't celebrate our winnings that often, which we should, but it's a very Dutch and easygoing way of doing business. Yeah, I, I like that, Gregor. I think that shines through in the products. There's a there's an elegant simplicity, which I think people will recognize if they use the products, if they look at the packaging, everything about it, the whole brand image, I think, which is often you think the simple things are easy, but to have a simple brand that works is actually the hardest thing to do. J- just on branding, was this product always going to be called The Grey? It's a kind of a, a nickname of yours, is that right? Did that fall into place very, very early on? Yeah, well, when you start in very early days, you have to think of everything and then of course the brand name is there so what you do again you go on google and you say men's skincare in in latin or in greek and you get all those dodgy names and then a friend of mine old colleague she called me and she knew i was working on this project and she always calls me gray as everybody in the company did it just resonated and okay it's going to be okay it's going to be the gray and i think from the first month I was actually working full-time on the product it was the gray and it never changed that's good well if you're onto a good idea you've got to stick with it right Greg that's the thing and I like it ironically I think so much uh, much needed color in this space has come from the gray I don't know if that makes any sense (laughs) when you so of course based on my nickname it is the gray but also my feeling behind the word and the color gray life isn't black and white you know there are always gray parts there and then, as we do a men's skincare brand, men don't tend to have... The, the biggest concern is not the wrinkle. It is getting bald or getting gray, because those are the, the first signs of getting older. So, in a way, it ticked those three boxes, which I embraced. I'm very happy that I made the choice. Yeah, well, it certainly seems to be going great guns, Gregor. Tell me a little bit about what most excites you. Your passion for the project and for continuing to grow this brand and grow it globally shines through in your remarks. But what, what are you kind of most excited about? If we look into the new year, I don't know, is it new markets? Is it new products? Is it a bit of all of those? Or is it just about going out into the world? I loved how you spoke at the beginning about making friends in this sector. Is that part of it? You never know who you're going to meet as you go on research trips and you're heading to new places. What really kind of gets you out of bed with a spring in your step in the morning? It is, I think, both of everything, what you you said, because I can go hysterical about a new development and we have great things planned for for the new year. But also um, going to other countries, visit my clients and have meetings with their staff, their clients, the influencers. So having your 
your knowledge spread and telling about skincare and importance, but not only telling about skincare, also telling about taking care of yourself. There is so much more than you know, putting that cream on your face and that's it. No, we, we, we want to try and tell the story about how men should take care of themselves on every aspect of their life. And I think telling that story all over the world is what makes me eager to go to the office every morning. Not just selling and not just creating, but the whole approach of who we are as a brand. Telling that story all over the world is, is my goal. That was Gregor Jaspers, the founder of The Grey. And you can find out more about the brand and its story by heading to thegreymensskincare.com. You're listening to The Entrepreneurs. Nora Kato is the co-founder of Ipsum Alley, a Swiss-based skincare brand whose products are all made in Japan. The brand incorporates the traditional Japanese herbal medicine system Kampo for its preventive and therapeutic effects. Our Georgina Godwin caught up with Nora at Monocle's Zurich HQ recently. Nora began by telling Georgina more about the brand's early development. It's a skincare line we developed, me and my business partner, Kikok, we developed over three years with a super cool award-winning lab in Osaka, Japan. And we had this idea about there's Kampo in Japan, you know, and uh, Kampo is basically a system of medicinal herbs for various purposes. And we really wanted to integrate these herbs into the skincare line and bring this whole idea and philosophy of Kampo to Europe. And that's what we did. What is the philosophy of Kampo? Well, it's basically, you know, the wisdom of ancient medicinal plants and they have so many good things inside and they can really aid with different things for skin. It can really be like super hydrating, nourishing and stimulates the blood flow, the circulation. And that's the idea of the skincare line in the plants. And you have this whole thing about your clean concept. Yes. Can you explain that to us? Well, clean is a is a big word. What we uh, what we basically do is like we we don't have like certain ingredients inside, like parabens and silicones, and we have mostly natural and plant based ingredients. But also sometimes where we think it makes sense and it's actually less irritating for the skin, we switch to synthetic ingredients as well. And basically, we just try to have the best formula for your best skin. Mm-hmm. So tell us about some of the range. And I can see you've got a few here to try as well. Exactly. It's a small range, uh, I have to admit, because it's very minimalistic. We have three products. We start with a cleansing. It's a skin refining gel. And it's a super innovative formula for Europe. In Japan, it's well known. It's a it's a very lightweight gel. And if you rub it on your, on your face, on, the, on dry skin, then it gently removes the dead skin cells and you, you're left with super soft and clean looking skin and minimized pores and it's super nice and natural. And then we have the serum, it's a bifaced layer, it's an oil layer made from squalane and uh, four hyaluronic acids that are fermented and these are the second step and it's like super nourishing and hydrating and then the last step would be the nourishing adaptogen cream a moisturizer with adaptogenic plants could i put a little bit of the moisturizer on my hand here just of to, course. to feel the texture and and smell it too it's a favorite with monocle people too we have a lot of like 
fans yeah. from Monaco because mm. it's, uh, it doesn't uh, smell. We don't put like perfume in our yeah. products because perfume often comes with alcohol and it's more drying and irritating. So we left that out. It really smells just the product. Yeah. And it's like nourishing and hydrating and rich, but not like oily and sticky. Yeah, I can feel my hands are just drinking that in. It's just absolutely <laughs> yeah. lovely. Now, what about markets? Because you're based here in Zurich, but you exactly. make the product in Japan. Exactly. Where is it mostly sold? Funny enough, our best market is France in Paris. We have very good retailers we're working with in Paris. We're selling at Le Bon Marché and Bijot. Um, that's a concept store, a Japanese concept store. We have the Care Pour Affaire. That's a retailer that specializes in Japanese products as well and then we are all over Europe a little bit like in really like special stores we have a special store in Lugano in Zagreb now in Spain in Lithuania so you know they're like all over Europe. Mm. What was the journey your personal journey that brought you to this point of launching this range? Well, I'm a half Japanese. My father is from Kyoto. That's not too far from Osaka. My mother is German. I lived there for a few years and my friend and I, we met there. And yeah, we had this idea when we both re-met in Zurich because her family brought her here and I moved here. And then we're like, hey, you know, let's bring some of the Japanese spirit to Europe and with all the goodness and let's do something together. And we had so many good contacts there. And yeah, and that's what like launched our story. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, Japanese skincare does seem to be leaps and bounds ahead of skincare yes. in the rest of the world. Why is that? That's a really good question. I think they're really ahead with the formulation of products and they really rethink a product and they come up with like new ways of of doing it. For example, the peeling gel, it's like a peeling gel, but like, like it comes with a really completely new experience. The quality, you know, it's exceptional. I mean, we had so many rounds with the lab and they really made sure it's perfect in every way. Yes, and I really think like all the details that mm. makes it special. And the packaging looks divine. Tell us more. Well, thank you very much. We uh, work with a Japanese graphic designer. She lives in Zurich at the moment. And we were thinking about, we want to have, have something that says, tells about the Japanese spirit, but it's not too orientalistic. So we develop products that have the shibori design. It's like the Japanese tie-dye. So it looks like very artsy and cool. And that's why we have like many art and design shops because they just like it from the, from the look too. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really fun. And what's the price point? Where's this pitched? Um, I would say it's like a premium level. The peeling gel is about 60 Swiss francs and the cream 68 and the serum would be 93. So it's like upper, mid-upper level. Yeah. And are you doing well? People are taking it up. Oh, they love it. Yeah, we have a really lot of fun. Like the skin refining gel is right now a bestseller because in winter you have like rather dry flaky skin and really takes it off beautifully. And the serum is really new. So that's a the newcomer for this year and um, no I have really good feedbacks. And are you planning to expand? Yes definitely. We are looking into various options right now but we will definitely extend our range in near future. That was Nora Kato in conversation with Monocle's Georgina Godwin. You can learn more by heading to ipsum alley that's with two eyes.com. And that's it for this episode of The Programme. We'll be back at the same time next week. Do look out, in the meantime, for Eureka, dropping every Friday. The Programme was produced by Laura Kramer, with mixing and editing by Tamsin Howard. You can follow us and catch up with the archive at monocle.com or via your preferred podcast platform. To contact the show, email laura on lrk at monocle.com. I'm Tom Edwards. Goodbye, and thanks for listening to The Entrepreneurs. The Entrepreneurs.